What an honor to praise our great God. Today we come to the conclusion of our sermon series, Supernatural Living. How many of you have a burden in your heart to live more supernaturally? You'd love to see more of God at work in your life. Amen? I think probably all of us would. And, uh, you know, how many of you know that also life has a way of beating us down? Right? I mean, life just comes at us, and there's one thing after the next, and sometimes it's grief or hardship or pain or loss, and life just seems to kind of, you know, the enemy keeps kind of squashing us down. And, and yet, I believe, and I think you do too, that God has called us to live on a higher plane, to transcend all of the stuff of this world, all the craziness and chaos and even the sin that plagues us down in our own lives, to, to live life on a higher plane. Amen? How many of you would not want to live the supernatural life, right? How many of you want more God in your life, more Jesus, more of His Spirit? How many of you want to overcome, as we've just sung? How many of you want to be an overcomer, amen? Yeah. We all do. Five weeks ago, we began this sermon series with an illustration of a poor sea lion that was lost in the hot, dry, dusty desert far away from the sea. And he knew instinctively that it was not his home, that he was created for something more. He was a sea lion after all. He was created for the sea and he would go to his rock and he'd put his nose up and he would smell those ocean breezes and pine for the sea. He had dreams about the sea. He knew that he was in the wrong place. How many of you today know that you're in the wrong place in a sense, right? This world is not my home. And yet we're here even as we want to live higher, better, larger for God. We learned that supernatural living, it is your heart's desire, kind of like the sea lion for the sea, kind of your sea is that supernatural living. We learned that supernatural living is why Jesus died. We learned that it's doable. We learned that it is your destiny, that one day when Christ returns, we will all transcend this world, this life. And we will, in fact, receive this supernatural life that we have always dreamed of. We have learned also that uh, God has surprised us with a new covenant, that God has given us something new and fresh, and, and uh, He's put a new heart within us. We also took a deep dive a couple of weeks ago into our sin, the depths of our sin, our desperate need for salvation as we considered our weakness. The fact that sin keeps getting in the way, it kind of blocks us from having this supernatural life. And then last week, we also looked at the new heart that God gave you, and we unpacked it. And we looked at the gifts, the gifts contained within your new heart, a new identity, a new purity, a new disposition, and a new power. Amen? So today we want to kind of tie it all together, and uh, I want to invite you to follow along. The words of Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14 are our scripture lesson today, and uh, actually that one, and a second short little one from Philippians chapter 12. But first, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. In my Bible, the section is entitled, Dead to Sin, Alive in Christ. Hear the word of God. What shall we say then, says Paul? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? 
By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, for we know that, Christ, that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Amen? And then Philippians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13, Paul says this, Dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but also much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let's pray. Lord, help us to work out our, our salvation. We know that it is a gift. We know that it comes to us by grace through faith, that there's nothing we can do to earn that salvation. And yet, all of the practical implications of that salvation in our lives take some work. It takes some effort. Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So, Lord, we know that there's some work involved, and today we want to work out this salvation even the salvation of this supernatural life to which you have called us. So, God, would you come and speak to us? May it be so. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, forgive me getting ahead of myself, Pam, but I'm jumping ahead here. So, uh, today we're going to kind of wrap this all up. Uh, and I just, you know, it's great theological teaching, right? It's good truths. These are things that are important. They're core to the gospel. We don't always hear them preached. And yet, how do we live it out practically? How do we live it out day to day in our workaday lives? Well, I'll be the first to admit, I don't have all the answers. And I'm far from perfect. You know that already. But I want to give you three tips there are three things that we can do, three practical steps to living more victoriously, more supernaturally. So you might want to grab your outline and fill it in as we go. Three things today that I think will help you as they have helped me. Number one, choose to live from your new heart. Just say it with me. Choose to live from your new heart. 
You remember the gifts contained in our new heart from last week's message. In Christ, you've been given a new identity. Paul says, in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That is to say that through Jesus Christ, all the old junk and the stuff of your life that you try to leave behind, that's all been put behind you. It's all in the past. And through Jesus Christ, you have a new identity in Christ. You're not... A chicken, you're an eagle, okay? Remember the story that I shared with you last week? You're not just a sinner, but you're a saint. You have a new identity in Jesus Christ. We also unpack the gift of purity. Jesus Christ bore the wrath of God's lightning bolt on the cross when he died. All of the, 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 the anger and wrath of God was laid on Jesus so that those of you who are in him that we are now safe, like the, like the man and his boy got struck, the car got struck by light, but they were, they were protected. We are protected by Jesus so that when God sees you, he sees you as having never sinned, clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Therefore, a new kind of righteousness has been revealed to which the law and the prophets testify. It comes to us from God through Jesus Christ to those who believe. You have been given a new purity. Amen? I don't know about you, but I like that one. Thirdly, you've been given a new disposition. That is your natural inclination. You've been given new taste buds, okay? Maybe not the tongue of a liver lover, a liver lover, say that five times fast, as I mentioned last week, but you have a new taste buds. Now, for the first time in your life, because of Jesus Christ and his spirit in you, you actually have a natural inclination, a natural disposition toward obeying God's laws. You love them. You delight in God's law. The psalmist said, as the deer pants, for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O Lord. And that's our, that's our prayer. That's our cry too, right? That's, that's who we are in Jesus, that new disposition. And fourthly, you've been given a new power. We don't have a rowboat spirituality where we have to work it all and gutting it all out on our own. No, we have a motorboat spirituality. We are governed and driven by the Holy Spirit. He's our engine within us and within the church. Amen. The Holy Spirit is what guides us and leads us. And so Jesus said, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. These were the gifts that we unpacked last week in our new heart. Just a little overview, a little summary of what we talked about last, last Sunday. But yet something keeps getting in the way, right? And that is our sin. And we talked about that too a couple weeks ago. How sin seems to kind of block this new life from happening it kind of clogs up the pipes and it kind of keeps us from experiencing the fresh and living water of the Holy Spirit in us. So what do we do? You have kind of two hearts within you, if, if, if you will. You're kind of like a hybrid vehicle switching back and forth between gas and electric power, between your old heart and the new heart. Yes, because of sin, you have that old heart within you as well. It's not yet taken away, not yet totally removed. You can still live from the fleshly, sinful desires of your old heart, or you can live off the power and energy of your new heart. In other words, you have a choice to make. You have a choice to make, and you make this choice every day, oftentimes many times a day, and sometimes several times an hour as life just keeps coming at us, right? And you make that choice. 
How are you going to respond? Are you going to respond with Christ-likeness or according to your old sinful fleshly self? It's no wonder that Joshua said to the Israelites of old, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the God, small g, your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, says Joshua, we will serve the Lord. Say it with me. We will serve the Lord. Let me ask you this. What is the first thing you put on in the morning when you get up? What's the first thing you put on? It, it's not your, your pants or trousers. It's not your, a skirt or a dress or a blouse. It's not your shirt. It, it's not your shoes and socks. It, it's not your a perfume or a cologne or your deodorant. No, the first thing you put on each morning is your attitude. It's your attitude. Studies say that within the first couple minutes, sometimes even the first 30 seconds after you wake in the morning, you choose, you, you put on what attitude you're going to carry through the rest of that day. Is it going to be a positive, joyful attitude? Is it going to be kind of a negative, grumpy attitude? Okay? But for Christians, it is much more than just merely an attitude. For you and me, it's really choosing which heart we're going to live from. The old heart or the new heart? Are you going to live from your new identity with a positive mindset, uh, forgiving and compassionate and kind, or will you live with bitterness and anger, holding on to the grudges and negativity from your old heart? Are you going to live from the Spirit of God within you, exemplifying the fruits of the Spirit in your life, love and joy and peace and so forth? Or are you going to live from a grumpy heart, holding on to grudges and negativity? I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning, when I wake up, excuse me, before I even get out of bed, uh, and I don't know quite how to say this without sounding really weird or mysterious, but I, I feel or just kind of sense the Spirit often kind of swirling around. You know, I think it's that passage from Lamentations that, oh Lord, your mercies are new every morning. And as I wake up, it's like a fresh start. And, and I get a chance to kind of, oh, there it is. I just kind of tap in to that Spirit and say, this is the Spirit that I want to prevail in me today. I'm going to live from this spirit, this new heart that God has placed within me and is kind of swirling around me. Choosing to live from the resources of your new heart each and every day is the first big step towards supernatural living. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day which heart you're going to let surface and emerge within you, the heart of God, of Jesus within you, or that old kind of grumpy, uh, kind of sinful heart. Make that choice today to live from your new heart. That's the first step, choosing to live from your new heart. Number two, count yourselves dead to sin. Say it with me. Count yourselves dead to sin. In Romans 6, let's take a deeper look. The Apostle Paul says in verse 3, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Okay, that's the beauty of submersion baptism, which we don't do here. We don't have a, a dunk tank for that. But we, the beauty of that is that, that picture of going under the water. You've died with Christ like being in the grave and then coming up 
a picture of your resurrection with Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, don't you know that you were baptized into his death? Verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we too may live a new life. Amen? In verses 6 and 7, for we know that our old self was crucified with Christ so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, hang in there with me, okay? This gets a little bit technical. In verse 11, then Paul says, therefore, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I long for the day when sin and temptation no longer has a pull on me. Do you ever long for that day? You long for that time where, you know, you're, you're sort of temptation-free, where you're sinless. Wouldn't that, wow, awesome, you know? We know some people who think they're sinless, but, you know, no. Really, to be without sin, to not even feel the pull and the tug of, of temptation and, and fleshly desires in your life. So, how many of you long for that day when you're just totally freed of that? Wouldn't that be awesome? Yes, well, I have good news for you. That day is coming. That day is coming. When, pastor? Tell us when. When you die. When you die, you will no longer feel the pull and the tug of temptation and sin on your life. When you are dead, you're going to be dead to sin. Here's the kicker. According to this passage, you have already died with Jesus. In your old sinful self, that old sinful nature within you was put to death with Jesus on the cross. And that's the argument that, that Paul is making here in Romans chapter 6, that when Christ died, you died too. Not only did Jesus take upon himself your death penalty. Not only did Jesus at the cross receive God's wrath and appease God's justice, not only did he guarantee your salvation by rising again, but Christ also killed the old man within you. Your sinful self has been put to death. Years ago, I preached a message called Killing the Old Man. People thought, Pastor, what are you talking about your dad like that for? No, 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 no. The old sinful self. Paul is saying, it's been killed. That part of you has died with Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, if you are united with him in Christ and through faith, then that part of you is dead. Now, why is that significant? Because it means that the power of sin and temptation is no longer what rules in your life. It's no longer the strongest power that you have. Does it mean we're totally free? To, no, it doesn't. We're not, we're, we're still feel, we still live in this world. And, and I don't know about you, but I deal with it probably every day. I think we all do. Just because Jesus died doesn't mean we no longer feel temptation or we won't slip into sin. We will. But it does mean, however, that you have a greater power now to tap into that is within you to say no to sin, no to those tempting desires. In other words, as John said, he who is in you, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? You have a greater power now to be victorious. And it kind of goes a little bit like this. I mean, how does this work in practical terms? You know, so, okay, so I'm walking through the ice cream aisle at Hy-Vee. 
and I see, oh my goodness, that, that chocolate fudge ice cream, it's just calling to me. Oh, I gotta have it, you know, but I don't need it. You know, I certainly don't need that, and oh, the calories, I don't, oh, that's not healthy, but I just love it, I want it, right, okay? Now, this is just the illustration that I can share, okay? We all have things, right, that are much worse than chocolate ice cream, but, but I'm just saying, you know, we feel that temptation. There's a pull there, and then you say, well, hold it, okay, that temptation is appealing to a part of me that was put to death with Jesus on the cross. That, that temptation is, a, no, hold it. You're appeal, that's not me anymore, okay? That part of me was put to death. And we can catch ourselves in the moment, if you're living mindfully and according to the Spirit, you will be able to say, hold it. I don't, Jesus doesn't have an addiction to, to chocolate fudge ice cream, so neither do I. Okay? Jesus doesn't have an addiction to this or that, or you fill in the blanks, so neither do I. Because as Paul would say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Are you getting this? Are you kind of beginning to see this? Okay, it's more, it's letting Christ live his life in you and saying, hold it. So the very temptation then becomes the trigger which kind of puts you back. Hold it, that's not me. It gets you back on your, your true life that which is truest and deepest in you, that you are a new creation in Jesus Christ, okay? In other words, temptation is not a sin, it's a call to battle. Temptation is the very trigger that gets you to switch your engine back to the new heart within you, okay? If you remember some of our previous sermons on this topic, you're, you're getting, you're, you're gonna, oh no, I'm gonna live off from this new engine, my new heart. And therefore, I have the power, the ability to say no, which is why Paul can then go on to say, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Amen? You are under grace. So you, my friends, have the power within you to go tell the enemy to go take a hike, okay? And you can rebuke him regularly and routinely. Do it as often as needed because you have the power to tell the enemy to go take a hike. Count yourselves dead to sin. This is, it's great stuff theologically. It's easy to say, relatively easy to say. It's harder to live out. You know this. But this is one of the keys, and that's why Paul says, count yourselves dead to sin. So choose to live from your new heart. Count yourself dead to sin. And thirdly, cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Just say it with me. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that God is always communicating? He's always communicating with you, with his people. He communicates through nature, through creation, his love, his beauty, his blessing. He communicates through the universe and the wonder of it all. The skies are, are, are declaring his glory, proclaiming his glory. The sun, the stars, the, the moon, the planets at night. Oh, it's beautiful. God is speaking to you. God speaks to us through his Bible, through the word, through, through the Bible. And God speaks to us through others, through preachers and teachers and friends and family and even strangers. And God speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit speaking to you and even within you, telling you what to do. The Holy Spirit, a kind of guide or compass. Some people call this whispers from God. Other people call it shoulder taps. The Spirit is tapping you on the shoulder saying, hey, do this. Don't do that. Okay? 
Take this job. Don't take that one. You know, do this, not that. Follow this road. Don't go down that road. The Holy Spirit, I have found, gives us abundant wisdom and direction for living if we'd only heed it. Here's the testimony of Scripture. Jesus said in John 14, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Say, I don't know it all, but the Spirit, that's okay, because the Spirit will lead me and teach me as I journey through life and as I'm open to Him. Jesus said in John 16, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. Say, I don't understand it all. There's a lot of things I don't know, but if I'm staying open and open-hearted before God and I'm saying, Lord, just give me your wisdom, give me your truth, help me to know, help me to understand, guess what? The Spirit loves, Jesus loves to answer that prayer. And then there's a, an example like in Acts 8 where the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So I don't think, you know, I don't think he heard an audible voice, but I think maybe deep down inside, he just sensed the Spirit was leading him, speaking to his conscience, speaking to his mind, speaking to his heart. And then there's kind of a negative example in Acts chapter 16. When they had come up to uh, Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Wouldn't you just love to walk so closely with the Spirit that you could just say, no, the Spirit's not telling me to do that. Or yes, the Spirit wants me to do this that you could just discern in the moment, day by day, that every time the phone rings or somebody says, do this or do that, you don't, you don't need to do that. Say, no, I'm going to do what the Spirit wants me to do. And that's the life that is pleasing to God. The Holy Spirit, God is always speaking. The question is, are we listening? Are you listening? Do we even take time to be still and silent anymore in the presence of God, because one thing is, is, is almost always true, and that is that it's hard to hear the still, small voice of the Spirit when there's noise and music and the TV's on and all these things all the time. When God spoke to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, God was not in the wind. God was not in the earthquake. God was, was not in the fire how did God speak to Elijah? Through a gentle whisper. You see, the Holy Spirit is always a gentleman. Most of the time, he doesn't force his way in. But he's just going to be persistent. Nudging, prompting, whispering, tapping you on the shoulder. Times in my life when I have gotten into trouble are usually the times when I have ignored or disobeyed the Spirit. Times when I didn't listen, I didn't want to hear, I thought I had my mind made up, I didn't want to obey what the Spirit was telling me. I ended up anxious and confused and sometimes hurting myself and hurting others and, and oftentimes in trouble. On the other hand, the times when I paused to listen, to hear the voice of God, to heed and obey what the Spirit was saying, I felt at peace. I acted with confidence. I bore fruit, good fruit, for God and His kingdom. Anybody here ever, ever in band? You ever, you ever in a marching band? Anybody? How many people were in a marching band? You ever? Some of you people, okay. Hey, we got enough to start our own Grace Church band, okay. 
bring your instrument next week. We'll do some, you know, special music. No. I was in band. I played drums since I was, some of you know, I played drums. Fifth grade, I started taking drum lessons. I played in the middle school band, Zealand Middle School, the Fighting Chicks and all of that. You know all about that. And uh, so, but one of the things through high school, playing in that band, and of course, when I got into high school, I didn't just play a single snare drum. I played the tritoms, they called them, and uh, these weren't like these little miniature quads that they, you know, that they play today. Those are easy. Those are light, you know. These were big drums, right? Big old tritoms, and probably why I have back issues, you know, a big harness, you know, carrying these things through the parade, marching in tulip time parade every year. Last, yesterday was tulip time in Holland, Michigan, and I'm sure they had the great big long parade. And uh, last week I was in Pella, and I saw the parade there and the marching bands. But the thing about marching in a marching band is you got to keep your rows straight, right? You got your columns and you got your rows, okay? Kind of rank and file or whatever it is. But, and you want to, you always got your marching core style and you're kind of keeping an eye out of the side of your vision, right? You're kind of looking at, you don't want to get ahead, you don't want to be behind. You want to keep those rows good bands. You'll see them, their rows will be nice and straight. Everybody's in step. Paul says the same thing to us. He says in Galatians 5, 25, keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Don't be running ahead. Don't be lagging behind. Just keep in step with the Spirit. You're going to be just fine. You're going to be just fine. You ever go down to Des Moines for the Iowa State Fair? How many people have done that? I've done that many times since I've lived here, and I don't go every year, but I enjoy going down there, and, and I love, you know, seeing the exhibits and going through the poultry barns and seeing the bunny rabbits and, you know, the chickens and poultry and all of that, and uh, of course, you got to get something to eat when you're there, you know, some vendor food. It's probably not good for you, but it feels good, you know, you got a little mental health, you know, right? And, uh, and you see a little bit of the talent show. And then I like going to the, the egg building, seeing the butter cow. I love going through the livestock barns and seeing the biggest bull. You know, wow, that's a lot of bull, you know. And, uh, and then there's a big old hog there, you know, the great big hog, you know, and the runner-up and stuff. I'm like, wow, those are huge animals, you know. A lot of, a lot of pork in there, that, you know, that tastes good. But I like going into the ag building because I love to see the produce. I think as a farm boy, I'm always amazed at how they grow these award-winning vegetables and you know, stuff. But usually outside of the ag building, because they're too big to bring in, are the big pumpkins. These huge pumpkins. How do they grow them so big? It's amazing. You know, uh, they must have the right fertilizer for those. I don't know what they do or the right kind. And, and, you know, they start off as a little golf ball on a vine, right? They're about the size of a golf ball, and they, they turn out the size of like a mini cooper. I mean, they're just huge, you know? It's like, wow, how do they grow these big old pumpkins? Is that, well, I don't know. I'm not, I don't, I don't know how to grow award-winning pumpkins that are that size. But here's what I do know, that that pumpkin grew up to have a great big life by staying connected to the vine. As long as that little pumpkin that started about the size of a golf ball stayed connected to the vine, it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew and it became a huge, big, beautiful pumpkin. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a person remains in me, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So stay connected to the vine. And you will live a great, big, bold, 
beautiful, supernatural life. Amen? Amen. That's the kind of life God is calling us to live. It was in May that the winds began to blow. The sea lion had grown used to wind, and at first he did not pay much attention to it. But years of desert life had taught him to turn his back in the direction from which the wind came and cover his eyes with his flippers so that the dust would not get in, and eventually the winds would always pass. But not this time. Day and night it came, howling across the barren lands. There was nothing to stop its furry, nothing to even slow it down. For 40 days and 40 nights, the wind blew. And then just as suddenly as it had begun, it stopped. The sea lion lifted himself up to have a look around, and he could hardly believe his eyes. Every single leaf had been stripped free from his tree. The branches that remained with only a twig or two upon them looked like an old scarecrow. And I do not need to tell you that there was no longer any shade in which to hide But worse than this, much worse indeed, was what the sea lion saw next. The water hole was completely dry. Three weeks after the wind ceased to blow, the sea lion had another dream. Now, as I told you before, there were other nights in which he had dreamed of the sea, but those were long ago and nearly forgotten. Even still, the ocean that filled his dreams this night was so beautiful and clear, so vast and deep, it was as if he were seeing it for the very first time. The sunlight glittered on its surface, and as he dived, the waters all around him shone like an emerald. If he swam quite deep, it turned to jade, cool and dark and mysterious, but he was never frightened, not at all. For I must tell you that in his dreams of the sea, he had never seen before himself in the company of other sea lions. But this night there were many round about him, diving and turning, spinning and twirling. They were playing. Oh, how he hated to wake from that wonderful dream. The tears running down his face were the first wet thing he had felt in weeks. But he did not pause even to wipe them away. He did not pause, in fact, for anything at all. He set his face to the east and he began to walk as best a sea lion can. Where are you going? asked the tortoise. I am going to the sea, the sea lion said. Father, may we go to the sea today. Lord, it's so easy to give up, to give in, to settle, to compromise. To say this is all there is and it is what it is. 
But Lord, we know that you are calling us to the sea. You are calling us to the sea of supernatural living. It is for which we are created. We have this longing, this desire in our hearts, Lord. And sooner or later, all of the stuff of this life, the substitutes and the trees and the water holes, they're no longer reliable. Sometimes it comes through the storms and the howling winds, the pains and grief and heartache of life, and you have a way of stripping these things away from us that we could live with you. So, Lord, help us to have the courage to go to the sea. Renew our vision. Renew our faith. Stir us up, Lord. and Let us be connected always to the vine that we might grow to have a big supernatural life in Jesus, the kind of life which He died to give us, the abundant life which He came to give. And so, God, come. Renew us, we pray. Help us, Lord, to set our sights on something higher. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.